You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Well, today uh, is our 10th message in the book of 1 John, and uh, I personally have enjoyed uh, studying uh, John's writing here, and uh, I've entitled the, 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 the series Family Traits because John is focusing on the things about a family that make them family. Uh, he's focusing on the things that if you look at uh, in a person, you can say, oh, they're part of that family, From, and I think about it like a son looks like his father. You know, a, a son resembles his dad, and, and that's a family trait, or certain families, they speak the same, they, they sound the same, they, they use the same words, their looks, they have the same body language, they, they have the same likes and dislikes, that's how you know their family. Well, in the Christian family, it works very similarly. If you're part of God's family, then there are things about you that when people see them, they know that you're part of the family. They should be able to look at our lives and say, oh, that's a family trait. We, if we live the way that Christ lived, if we love the brethren, the brethren if, if we don't love the world, if we obey, if we're, if we're mature, these are all things that John has written about. And John's purpose for writing this letter wasn't just so that the readers would be able to examine themselves and see, oh, if I'm part of the family, but, but that they could evaluate others as well. Our last message in this series was focusing on John warning the family about false teachers. There were false teachers that had come along and and John was warning them so that they can evaluate and examine those teachers to see if they're part of the family. Uh, Do they have the family traits? Do they look the part? Do Do they teach the right kind of things? In that section that we've just come through, Uh, was John warning them about those who teach against the deity of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 22. He says, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. I don't know how much plainer you can get. You know, this King James Bible isn't as hard to understand as some people like to make it seem. It says if you... If a person says that Jesus Christ is not of the Father, then they're a liar. If you say that, that Jesus Christ is not of the Father, they don't, that person doesn't have the Father. And John was warning them to help them to see uh, if this person that's teaching them has the right kind of family traits. Well, a member of the family would, would say Jesus Christ, uh, without a doubt, is the Son of God. He is very God himself. And it's pretty plain. So John helps the readers what we've just come through. The last time we were here was deception insurance. And sometimes there are people that come along and they teach different things. They, they teach things that, we're, that maybe sound okay, but when we start examining them, uh, we realize that it's not okay. The truth is, is not in them. And John basically was telling the, writer, the readers that you have deception insurance because you have the Word of God abiding in you and you have the Holy Spirit abiding in you. So use those, lean on those things to help you know so you won't be deceived. It's available to every member of the family. And the wise ones sign the bottom line and say, I'll accept this deception insurance. It's there, it's available for us. All we have to do to activate it is abide in the Word and abide in the Holy Spirit. 
And it's that thought about abiding that I want to continue focusing on today as we wrap up chapter 2. See, there's a very important event coming that every member of the family must be prepared for. And our decision on whether or not we abide will make all the difference in how that moment goes for us. See, have you ever had an important appointment coming up and you have this thought that crosses your mind? I'm not ready for this. You ever have something coming up that you say, I don't think I'm ready for this appointment? Well, when we were getting ready to sell our house, and, and I'm sorry for all the house illustrations, but you know we've just come through this. So when we were getting ready to sell our house back in January, we had an important day coming up. We had the, the appraiser and the realtor coming. And that's an important day. You want the house to be ready for it. And so we started frantically getting the house ready. We did things like paint and, and the repairs that my wife has been waiting for me to do for years. I did them all magically in about three hours. So, you know, I'm, isn't it, by the way, isn't it funny how you, your house never looks better than it does when you're about to get rid of it? I'm like, how is that fair? So we were getting our house ready and we're, we're, we're repairing it, we're painting, we're making sure things are in good order. And the appointment was at about three o'clock in the afternoon. And just before noon, if I remember the time frame correctly, my wife calls me. And she says something uh, uh, along these lines, Jason, I have bad news. And you never want to hear those words, ever. Um, and I could tell, see, my wife had had been gone and she had, had, the girls were responsible to clean the house and get things ready and the repairs had mostly been done but my wife had gone uh, shopping and then she had come home and I was at the church doing some things and uh, she comes home and when you walk into a room full of children and the house is quiet, that's a bad sign. So she walks into the room and into the house and everyone's pretty quiet and a little bit sheepish and they take her over to the spot in the wall. One of the kids was doing something. I don't know exactly what it was. I didn't ask in the moment. But in, that, in our sheetrock, there was a hole. And I don't really even understand how it happened for sure, but I just know that in the end, I was the one that had to deal with it. So my wife calls and basically says, I have bad news. There's a hole in the wall and the, the realtor is coming very soon. And we've got this important appointment and we, you know, we've, been, we've repaired the house. We've, we've got it ready for this. And now I have to run to the home improvement store and get something to patch the hole with. And if you've ever, you say, well, that sounds really easy. The hole was about the size of two of my fists and, or one of my fists, maybe. It just looked like two fists to me. But you say, that's not a big deal until you see me go to work on something like that. So I got to work on it and I, I put the patch on the wall and I started... I got some joint compound and I got the stuff that says fast drying. Because I have a couple hours and I got to get this done. So I'm getting to work and I, and I put the first layer on and, and I felt like Brother Carlos. I mean, the, it, looked, it was a great looking drywall job at this point. My, my problem was when, I, when it said dry or fast drying, I'm thinking, oh, 10 minutes. 10 minutes, it'll probably be fine. I can go back with that second layer. And sure enough, that was not enough time. So I went back with the second layer trying to do something quickly and I undid all the work I had done on the first layer. So the time was approaching, the realtor was almost there and I realized 
Uh, we're not going to have this hole finished before they get here. And so we did what every honest, respectable family trying to sell a home would do in that situation. And we put a plant in front of it. <laughs> That's what you do. <laughs> now, I did fix it the next day, but that initial walkthrough, we were kind of panicking. There's an important po- appointment coming, and the truth is, we weren't ready for it. And there are a few things more terrifying than knowing you're not ready for something important. And I think back to my college days when I lived in a dorm and going to Bible college, it's probably a little bit more strict than your average college. And every morning at a certain time, at about 7, it felt at about 4.30 in the morning, but it was really about 7, they would have what they have, dorm checks, they would call them. And my first, my first year, I was uh, the, the lowly freshman, and I got the toilets. And so, you know, every morning they have to be clean by a certain time. And there were plenty of mornings I've got a late night studying and I wake up, you know, 6.58. And the toilets aren't clean and the RA is coming through to do the dorm inspections. And you've never seen anybody clean toilets as fast as I did. You know, I, I, this happens at school, doesn't it? When you have a test or you have a quiz, there's, a, there's, there's an inspection of what you know coming up. And if you haven't prepared for it, you say, I'm not ready for this. You've got a project at work, you've got a deadline that you've got to be ready for, and that due date comes in the morning of, your stomach is in knots because you just know you're not ready. You know, there are a few feelings worse than knowing there's an important deadline and you're just not ready for it. Do you realize that takes place in our spiritual lives as well? Now, there are deadlines every week. I I feel like I have deadlines every week. You know, when I have to stand up here or I get to stand up here and preach, there are deadlines and it weighs on you. And you've, you've got to be ready for it every time. And you have things in your ministries, those of you that teach, and, and I hope that you're preparing for those well in advance and not waiting till Saturday night or Sunday morning. You've got deadlines coming every week. Be prepared for those. But sometimes the deadlines, they come faster than you can keep up with, don't they? It happens in our spiritual lives. It happens in our church life. But there's an event coming at the very end of our lives we must be ready for. And it's the most important event of your life. Now I know that, that salvation is the most important decision. But, but in the end, every person is going to experience this event and we must be ready for it. You see, one, one day Jesus Christ will return. One day He will appear. He is coming back. And John says, when he shall appear, when he says there in verse 28, and now little children abide in him, that when he shall appear. See, John doesn't give many details in 1 John here, but we know based on other New Testament passages that Jesus Christ left over 2,000 years ago with the promise that he would return. And he, he could return at any moment. The rapture is what, what people call this. This is the next event on the timeline. And this takes place uh, next on the, the, in the prophecy, uh, the prophetic timeline. First Thessalonians chapter 1 says, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. You see, right now we're waiting for that event to take place. We're waiting for Jesus Christ to come back and, and call us home. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 give us some more exp- uh, an explanation. It says, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. So there will be a sound of a voice, there will be a sound of a trumpet. And it says, The dead in Christ shall rise first. 
So those that are in the grave, those, those that have already died, they will rise first. And it says, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the rapture. And that passage explains the order in which God's family will be raised. Those who have died and gone before us, they will be raised first when Jesus Christ comes back and meets us in the cl- we meet him in the clouds. And then those that are alive and remain, which honestly, I really hope I'm one of those that are alive and remain. I, I would love to experience the rapture. I-, I would, and sometimes, and I'm weird like this, but sometimes I just think maybe it's right now. Maybe it's going to happen right now. I mean, it hasn't worked out for me just yet, but I like to pretend that. That someday, it it could be any moment, friends. Jesus Christ could return at any moment. He could could return before this sermon is is over, and maybe some of you are praying for that. But he could come any moment. 1 Corinthians 15.52 says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, there's that word again, that sound of a trumpet, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. See, Paul confirms what he wrote in 1 Thessalonians that there's a future instance in which the trumpet shall sound and all of those that are in Christ shall be raised or raptured. And I'm looking forward to that day. I mean, we have a lot to live for, I know, but, but when we see the face of our Savior, all of these things that, that we thought were important just pale in comparison. The rapture is imminent. It means there's nothing preventing it. It could happen at any moment. In the twinkling of an eye, we'll hear that trumpet and we'll be gone. But you know, there's more involved than just Christ's return. It's not just like a family reunion where it's just a fun, fun and games and a big party. And I wish it, it could be different, but when he does appear, there's an inspection to be held. There's a deadline coming, friends. Your life will be inspected. I want to turn to a few verses here so keep your place here in 1 John, but we'll turn more than we normally do. Romans chapter 14. Turn to Romans chapter 14. Look at a few verses here just so that you can see that this is, uh, this is from the Bible and it's not me just, uh, just making things up or speculating. It says in Romans chapter 14, verse 12, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. You realize when Jesus Christ comes back, when that rapture takes place, uh, it's not just that we get to go spend eternity in heaven with Jesus forever and and nothing else ever happens that's rough or tough. Uh, We will get to spend eternity in heaven forever. But before we do, it says, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. That means, friend, that you will stand by yourself before Jesus Christ and you will have to give account of your life to Jesus Christ. And I'm not standing up here trying to make you feel discouraged or afraid of what could happen today as much as I am trying to get you to be ready for this. There's an inspection coming and you have to stand before God. You have to stand before Jesus Christ. And that inspection means that you have to give account of yourself. You have to give an account of your life to God. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 9, please. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. 
Hebrews is back closer to 1 John where we were. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And it says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. You see, once we're absent from the body, we will be subject to that inspection. We'll be subject to that giving of an account of ourselves to God. And the Bible calls it a judgment. What exactly does the judgment mean? Well, again, we're turning 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And once you find it, say, Sword of the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll read in verse 10. So again, let me remind you, you will give an account of yourself before God. You'll stand by yourself before God. And Hebrews chapter 9 calls it a judgment. It's an inspection. It's a judgment. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says in verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. See, those in Christ or those in the family will stand before him at the judgment seat. According to this verse, we must all... Now, this is talking to the family of God in Corinth. So, Paul is assuming that those reading it are saved, that they're the children of God. It says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And Paul's talking to members of the family of Corinth, and he said, we must all appear there, that judgment seat... It will give account of ourselves after we die. It is appointed unto men once to die after this, the judgment. So if you're a child of God, you will appear before Jesus Christ and you will answer for the things done in your life, whether they're good or bad. And again, I know that that sounds like a doomsday approach. Child of God, though, member of the family, you will be inspected. You will give account. You will stand by yourself with no one else there to speak for you and answer to God for how you live your life. You can't take your best friend with you. Young people, you can't take your parents with you. There will be nobody standing. Every one of us shall give account of himself to God. I stand there by myself. I can't call someone up to help and answer for me. God the judge will look at my life and I'll give account of it. He'll inspect me. And by the way, those that aren't members of the family will stand before God as well. So today I'm talking to those that stand before God in the judgment seat, at the judgment seat of Christ, and those are members of the family. If you're a child of God today, you will stand before God at the judgment seat. But if you're not a child of God, if you've never been saved, you too will stand before God by yourself with no one else with you You'll stand before God, only this one he calls the great white throne judgment. And we could go to the book of Revelation, and I want you just to listen to these verses. Uh, here's John again writing, the, the same man that wrote First John, he's writing and says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Again, standing before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were, what's the word? They were inspected, they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast 
into the lake of fire. So member of the family or not member of the family, you will stand before God by yourself. You will be judged by God. And according to Revelation chapter 20, there's a book, this book that's uh, the book of life, and this is a big Bible up here, but someday you will stand before God, and I don't know how it works, it's just speculation today, but there's a book of life, it says. And in that book of life, they'll call your name. And if your name is Jason, Jason Jett, you'll stand before God at the great right throne judgment and that book will be opened and maybe it's Jesus Christ himself and he turns to the J's and he looks for Jet. He looks for Jason Jet. And if my name is not written in the book of life, someday as I'm standing for God by myself with nobody there with me, if my name is not found written in the book of life, the Bible says that I will be forever separated from God and cast into the lake of fire. And I'm not standing up here trying to scare anybody or spook anybody into a decision today. I'm trying to let you know there's a judgment coming. There's an inspection coming. You will give account of your life to God. And if your name is not found in the book of life, friend, you will be cast forever, separated from ever, into a place called hell, a lake of fire. And I say that with passion today because the last thing I ever want anybody that I know to have to endure or even people that I don't know is that they stand before God thinking that things are okay and yet when the book of life is open, their name is not found. The dead will be judged at the great white throne and whoever's not here will be sent separated. And I know that sounds strange and there aren't probably many pulpits preaching something like that this morning. But are you willing today to risk your eternity, spending eternity separated from God in a lake of fire forever? Are you willing to risk that and say, well, I'll just wait for another day? Let me remind you that at any moment, Jesus Christ could return. At any moment, the imminent return of Christ could take place. And if your name's not written in the book of life, when you stand before God... There's no do-overs. Your sin is your problem. And it's the biggest problem that you have. And I am begging you today to allow Jesus Christ to pay that debt for your sins. Receive him as your savior this morning. Because your sin will keep you out of heaven. That's one inspection you cannot afford to be prepared for. So if I stand up here and it seems like I'm begging in some ways it's because I am. Because this can't be forced on anyone. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you please consider speaking with me after the service today? When the invitation takes place and you want to make sure that your name is in the book of life, we'll have men here toward the front that would love to take you men and show you from the Bible. Ladies, we have, we'll have ladies that can be here and show you from the Bible how you can be sure that your sins are forgiven, that you receive Jesus Christ and the payment that he, he paid on the cross for your sins, and that your name can be entered into the book of life. And as we sang this morning, the transaction can be done forever. Once it's done, your name is in the book. Today, your sin, that inspection is coming, and if your sin is still present, then you'll stand before the great white throne judgment unprepared. Members of God's family don't have to be concerned with 
with our name not being found in the book of life, and I'm thankful for that. But as a part of the family, your spot in the book is assured, but it doesn't mean everything is settled. It doesn't mean you can just live like you want to live today. Members of the family, you see, according to these verses back over in 1 John, as we turn back over there, it's possible for a member of the family to stand before God at the judgment seat and be ashamed. It is Paul, you say, well, my name's in the book and I can live my life how I want and I got saved when I was a kid and I don't have to worry about that. And, and I, to that I say, praise the Lord. If it is settled, that's a blessing. But just because your name's uh, found written in the book of life, it doesn't mean that that guarantees that when you stand and you give account and you are judged for your works as a Christian, that you're going to have full confidence in that. It is likely that many people that you and I know and maybe us ourselves will stand before God at the judgment seat and the Bible says it's possible that we might be ashamed. See, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we will be judged for the things done in our body, whether good or bad. And I think it's pretty evident that if I do the things that Jesus Christ commanded me to do and, and through his word told me to do, then I can stand before him with confidence. But, but if, we, if, things, if I do things the wrong way, if I don't live according to his book, then I'll be ashamed. And that's the word, those are the two words that, that John uses. We'll either be confident or we'll be ashamed when Christ returns. And the word confidence is just exactly what you think. It, it actually means freedom in speaking. That you can say what you have to say without having to hide anything. I've got full confidence. It means boldness. It means assurance. It means openness. I've got nothing to hide. That's confidence. He says, now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence. But then he says, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. See, that word ashamed means to disfigure. Now, and I think, that was, I think that's interesting that it means disfigure, but, but what, would you, what would you do if you were trying to hide who you are? You hide your, 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 your essence, you hide your, your appearance, you're disfigured. The word ashamed means that I'm disfigured before God. I don't want to see him for who I truly am. I, it means to shrink away from God, to be dishonored. That's the word ashamed. So there are those that will stand before God and have confidence. They'll have freedom in speaking. And they'll say, yes, God, uh, I lived according to the way that you wanted me to. I've got confidence. But then there are those that are children of God that will be disfigured. They'll shrink away from God. They'll try to hide who they are because they're ashamed. Now, so if you have a choice between freedom, boldness, assurance, openness, confidence, or your other option is disfigured, dishonor, shrinking back, shame, which one would you prefer? Which one, when Jesus Christ comes back, child of God, which one do you want to say, I, I, I will have confidence, or do you want to say, I will be ashamed? You want to say, I will have freedom in speaking, or I'll be disfigured? You want to say, I'll have assurance, or I will shrink back from his presence? And it's okay to answer this by the raising of your hand. How many of you in here would prefer to stand before Christ with confidence, with nothing to hide, rather than shame and dishonor? All around the room, me too. Without a doubt, when my Savior returns, I want to stand before him with confidence. And this is the most important inspection that I'll ever have. 
This is the most important inspection you'll ever have. So how do you ensure that you have confidence at the judgment seat? Well, John gives us the answer, and it's probably much simpler than, simpler than we realize. He gives us a very clear answer, and he says, abide. Amen. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And you say, well, what does abide mean? Well, it means not to depart. It means to continue to be present, to last, to endure. It means to stay close to Christ. Abiding is doing those things that keep us close to God. If you want to abide, that means that you practice what John wrote in his first chapter. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you want to abide, keep a short account with God. In other words, don't let all those sins just stack up and stack up and stack up until there's a wall between you and God. No, when you sin, take advantage of the promise that you can confess your sin and ask him to forgive and keep that account balance low. Keep it at zero. If you want to abide, if you want to have a relationship, if you want to have proximity to Christ, you can't live with sin. He's holy. You have to, if you want to abide, then you have to grow. You have to learn. You have to communicate. You've got to be in your Bible. You've got to be in prayer. You have to grow by being a disciple through a local church, by the way. God says these are the things that you need to abide. If we abide in close proximity to our Father, then I won't be ashamed when he appears. And John wrote about abiding over in his other book, John chapter 15 in the Gospel of John. And he said, Jesus Christ said, abide in me. And I and you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. If you want to stay, if you want to bear fruit, you've got to abide. You have to stay connected to the vine. I'm just driving around after this storm this weekend. I was noticing all the trees that were down and the branches that were down and just driving around thinking how much work people have to do to clean up their yards. And I mean, there's a lot of damage out there. You know, one thing about a a large tree branch that, that falls down, if it's full of leaves, it doesn't take much time at all, does it, for those leaves to turn brown and wither. And why, why is that? Because that branch is no longer connected to the roots. It's no longer connected to the tree. It's no longer connected to that which gives it life. And before too long, it only takes a few days. And all those leaves that were green and abundant and full of life are now brown and withered and crunchy. They're not bearing fruit. They're not bearing life. They've, got, they've, they've become disconnected from the branch. And therefore, they can no longer bear fruit. You know, the same is true for us. If we cut ourselves off from the vine, if we refuse to stay close, if we refuse to abide near Christ, we will not bear fruit. And, and if we don't bear fruit, then, then we will, will not have confidence when he comes. If we don't bear fruit, we'll be ashamed when he comes. If we don't stay connected to the vine, we won't bear fruit. And we will be ashamed when Jesus Christ comes. And the one most important inspection of our entire existence, we will be ashamed at. See, according to verse 29, it says, If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteous, righteousness is born of him. See, the fruit that you bear as a child of God connected to the vine 
is you live righteously. You live right. The fruit is evident. It's a family trait. If you are abiding as you ought to, the fruit will be evident in your life. People will look at you and they'll say, that's definitely a member of the family. But it all comes down to how closely we abide. And here, and we're coming down to the end of it here, here's the process. If we abide, we bear the fruit of right living. And when he appears, we're confident. There's nothing to hide. But the opposite is true. If we don't abide, we have no fruit of right living or little fruit of right living. And when he appears, we're ashamed. Child of God, family member, he could return today. And if you're abiding, you're living right. If you're living right, you'll have confidence when he comes. If you're not abiding and is appearing, you'll be ashamed. Here's John's message today. Abide or be ashamed. Abide or be ashamed. See, you say, well, I can put up with shame for a little bit. I have no shame. I'm pretty confident in myself. And I'll just live my life how I want to. And if it means I'm shamed, you know, that's, that's fine. No, you don't understand. See, assuming that you're saved, the most important, important future moment of your life will take place when you stand before Jesus Christ when he appears. The most important moment of your life will come when you're standing there and you see him for who he truly is and you finally get a glimpse of how amazing your Savior is and you understand, maybe you look at his hands and you see those wounds in his hands and you understand this man died on a cross for me. No, this isn't just I can put up with shame. No, the last thing I want in this moment is to stand here ashamed because looking at my Savior makes me realize he deserved everything I could have given him. Your entire existence, your entire purpose is summed up in whether or not you please God in that moment. This is not an inspection in which you get a second chance. Friends, there are no do-overs. You don't get to say, oh wait, I wasn't ready for it. Can we, call, can we reschedule this appointment? And can you come back tomorrow? No, there's no do-overs. There's no, you don't get to go back and change things. Uh, you don't get a second chance. You don't get a free pass. Your entire life comes down to this. When you stand before Christ and he inspects your life. That's it. And if you're abiding, you have confidence. If you don't, you're ashamed. And everything you do contributes to that moment. Give your focus here. We're almost done. Everything that you do today contributes to the moment when you stand before Jesus Christ. Everything. And it starts today. How do you listen during the preaching? It starts right now. How are you engaging your mind? Are you examining yourself and comparing yourself to the truth that's being preached? Uh, your engagement in, this, in the music, your engagement in the worship today. It, everything that you do today connects to the moment when you stand before Christ. How you interact with your brothers and sisters here today. That, those interactions directly impact when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And you say, well, it's no big deal. I can lose my temper once or twice. And I can, you know, it doesn't really matter all that much. No, every moment right now is pointing to that moment then. Every word you say, every thought you think, every day, every look you give, every soul that you let walk by you, every morning when you're deciding whether or not to spend time and to abide with the Lord, every service that you decide to skip because you've got something else going, 
Parents, every time that you discipline your child, the way that you discipline your child, your interactions with your family, uh, how you speak to your loved ones, young people, how you obey your parents, how you treat or honor or respect your parents, that every one of those interactions directly impacts when you stand before your Savior at the judgment seat of Christ. Every moment, some coworker watches how hard you work. They all connect. See, according to 2 Corinthians 5, God judges every work. And here's the principle today. I can either live for this moment or that moment. I can either live for this moment right now and do what I want to do and respond how I want to respond and spend the time how I want to spend it. Or I can think about that moment. And I can think about when I stand before Jesus Christ and I think about what he will judge me for in that moment. And I think about how he'll look at me and say, I died for you and you couldn't reach out to your neighbor. When he looks at me and he says, I died for you, but you couldn't spend time in the morning just to commune with me for five or ten minutes a day. I died for that local church that you're a member of, and yet you refused to be involved because your schedule was too busy. I died for you, and yet you didn't take me serious, uh, seriously enough to engage your mind when the preaching of God's word took place. Friends, listen, we are either, either living for this moment right now or that moment in the future. And the problem is this moment right now is loud. It screams loudly in our ears. And it beckons for us to give in to it. It beckons for us to live for the moment instead of thinking about the moment in the, in the future that matters the most. People living for this moment don't see their every word as being important. They don't see their interactions as meaning all that much. They don't, they don't see whether or not they're here on time to be in their Sunday school class as being all that important. They live for this moment instead of that one. And friend, if that's your mentality, I'm not saying it. The Bible says it. there's shame before him at his coming. Members of the family, if you want to be confident when he appears, live for the moment when you stand before him instead of the moments before you do. It's easy to live for the wrong moments, isn't it? We assume we have more time than we really do, but that time is quickly coming to an end. We assume the Father doesn't see all of it, but He's an all-knowing, ever-present God. We assume our motives are better than others, but God sees our hearts. There's nothing hidden. The most important moment of your life is when you stand before Christ at his appearing. Are you ready for that moment? Lost? If you're, if, you're, if you're not saved this morning, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, you will stand before God by yourself. And I know I've said it many times this morning, but friends, listen to me. You will stand before God by yourself and he won't give you a free pass simply because you had some excuses that were good. And he'll look at your life and he'll look through the book of life and he'll say, your name's not here. You never received my son and your sins were never forgiven. And in a heart of love, I think he would probably have to say, it's not what I want, but I cast you in the lake of fire. Unsaved person here this morning, are you ready for that moment? Member of the family, are you? If he comes back today, what will your experience at the judgment seat be like? 
If you're not abiding, if you're not close to the Father, the Bible says the result is shame. But if you are abiding, the result is the family trait of right living. You can be confident. And I would assume there are plenty of us in here, though, that we're hiding the holes in our lives with a plant. And instead of getting things right, and instead of making things as they should be, we're covering it up. Instead of abiding, maybe we're pretending. Friend, you can't trick the Father. When he comes, he sees it all. And I don't want to be ashamed. See, on a daily basis, child of God, are you living for the present moment or that important moment after he appears? The sad thing is, we often prepare for the moments that don't matter as if they really did, and the one that matters the most, we're not giving much attention to it. See, the day that the inspector and the appraiser and the realtor were coming to our house, we were frantically moving. We were frantically getting ready for that moment and, and yet there are plenty of times in a, on a daily basis in my life where the moment that matters the most when I stand before my Savior and answer to Him where I acted like eh, that's not really going to happen. And instead of living for the moment that matters I very often put those others that don't matter at all I put those in a position where it looks like they're the most important. So how, here's how to avoid shame. Abide If you do, you live right. And if you do that, there's no shame when he returns. When I was a kid, uh, we lived uh, at 1310 Grand Avenue, Abilene, Texas. My dad pastored there for about seven years. And from the time I was maybe three until I was about 10. And I remember in in front of our house, we had these tall, I don't know what kind of trees they are. I'm not very good uh, with my trees, but... These tall, skinny trees, they were evergreens, and you probably know what they are, but we had two of them in the front of our house, one on each corner of the house. And they were very easily climbable. And when you're a little boy, uh, the two things, that's one of the first things you look for is, where's the closest tree I can climb, and how can I get up there? You know, I, that's one of the things you do. So my dad had made a rule, he said, you're not allowed to climb those trees because he saw the wheels turning. If I climb that tree, I can get up onto the roof, and there's very few things more appealing to a little boy than being on his roof. I don't know why. Those of you that are roofers, you're like, I don't want to be on a roof. But I, I remember, though my dad made this rule, well, one day I had some friends over, and my dad, he was leaving, and he was going to be gone for a few hours, and we were there by ourselves, and so he pulls out of our driveway. And it's one of those things where you're like, Waving to him until he's gone. Okay. And we had already schemed. We said, these trees are good for climbing, and I think we can make it to the roof. So we, we started climbing the trees. And, and sure enough, it didn't take very long, and we're up on that roof. And we were having a time. I don't know what we were doing. We are just walking around like mountain goats on the roof. I don't know what you do. Just think it's cool to be up that high. Well, my dad had forgotten something. You've been there, haven't you? We're up on the roof walking around, and my dad, I see his car turn and come down the block. And there's no way I can get down fast enough. I can tell you, I've never wanted to jump off a roof more in my life than in that moment. He pulls into the driveway as I'm scrambling to get over to the tree. I can't hide from him. He caught me red-handed. 
and he gets out of the car and he, and he, and he teaches me a lesson. And uh, it's a politically correct way now. Got to be careful. Let's just say uh, he spanked me and, and I'm, I'm a pretty adjusted adult. I mean, today it doesn't kill him. But I got in trouble for it. You know what my dad did? He cut those trees down. You say, that's an overreaction. No, it's a lesson I'll never forget. You see, if I had stayed abided where my dad had told me to, then I wouldn't have had to suffer the repercussions of it. But because of my decision, when he came back, and I was ashamed. And forever, I always remember there could have been trees there but because of my decision, I didn't get to enjoy them anymore. Because I didn't stay where I was supposed to. Child of God, you have one place to stay, and that's close to your father. You need to abide. Because when he comes back, if you're not abiding, if you're not where you're supposed to be, you won't have confidence. The Bible says you'll be ashamed. And I'm just wondering how many people in this room this morning are in a position where they're not abiding. And if our Father comes back today, we'll be ashamed. If you live for the present moment, you'll likely not be prepared for his return. But if you live for the moment, that important moment, the most important event in your future when you stand before him, you'll have confidence instead of shame. Let's live for the right moment. No moment is bigger than when he shall appear. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.